0: loaded podcast today. Seahawks window closing football, boxing, and going abroad with Kevin Clark. We update you on Q1 of the QB stock game and life advice. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon, the perfect pants do exist and you can get them at lululemon the men's abc pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics all made to make you look and feel good whether you're in the office at the gym cheering in the stands or just relaxing at home these pants are in a league of their own buy a pair today at lululemon.com this episode is brought to you by honda honda is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050 and the Prologue EV is their latest innovation in that journey. The Prologue is all the great things you expect from Honda in an EV. As an SUV, the Prologue comes with class-leading passenger space with intuitive features and clean, thoughtful design. The Prologue is more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit Honda.com slash Prologue to learn more. little Thursday night action for you. Uh, that was going into it. You're like, this is going to be great. It was close. and the Rams scored, what, three touchdowns, four possessions. Russell Wilson's finger looks weird. Can I just add this to uh, the mix of observations? We overreact about dislocated fingers big time. Um, it looks gross, and then they put it back. And most people figure out a way to play with it. Basketball, all the time. But linemen, nobody cares about their dislocated fingers. Now, however, before I go too far on that, the Russell Wilson thing had to be worse than a dislocated finger. And Brock Heward, who, look, is from that area – covers the Seahawks we had him on the podcast just last week I thought he had a really good tweet where he was just like you know look the way that thing is kind of weird at the end he goes that could be a ligament there's also this hammer finger thing that you can have happen which has happened to me where you just smash the tip of your finger and like the tip of my right ring finger is is smashed in like a million pieces and it just calloused together and that they were like there's no way we can put this thing back together so whatever um again I'm not Russell Wilson I think you guys knew that already. But if that's even more substantial, because he couldn't come back in the game. I mean, dislocated finger guy usually can come back. The fact that he couldn't, but he kept his helmet in on, you know, he was in on everything. So, um, you know, that's a whole nother topic here, because I think there's a question here. When you look at the tiers, if you were to say, okay, we're doing NFL teams by tiers, which is something we've done a long time ago. Uh, Arizona 4-0, I don't think anybody's taking them seriously enough to say, hey, if Arizona wins the NFC, but the way they're playing right now, they're in that first tier. I believe Dallas is in it, too. I mean, if Dallas has turned this defense around with some younger players and Dan Quinn, which is another observation in that, it's funny how a coordinator who's a really good coordinator gets a head coaching gig. And then guess what? Most of these guys don't work out. It's just the business. Most coaches don't have very good innings. Almost all of them have bad innings. And Dan Quinn loses a head coaching gig, and then it's like, ah, this guy sucks. And you're like, maybe he got the head coaching gig because he actually was that good of a coordinator. And not all coordinators can be head coaches. Um, we understand that. Not all position coaches can be coordinators that are great at it. Some people can do both. Some people can do all of them. That's very rare. But Dan Quinn is a good defensive coordinator, and I think you're seeing that with Dallas at this point. So I don't think it's – it may feel like, hey, it's only the Rams. It's only Green Bay. It's only Tampa. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that first tier of NFC title contenders coming out of the NFC, I think it's a, a larger group than maybe we would think. It's Arizona, it's Dallas, it's Tampa. And remember, Tampa had 31 players play 200 snaps last season. All 31 of those players are back. And on top of that, they had arguably the healthiest season of any team in the NFL because there's all these things you can read and look at how many games miss and all this stuff. Sometimes it'd be like, when I looked at some of the NBA games miss stuff because of COVID, or because of injury, I'd be like, okay, but did you just pile on three guys that missed 70 games? So now that's, 210 games missed by guys that aren't even in the rotation. Like, is that really you guys missing all these games? So when I looked at the NBA games missed stuff, I always felt like there were ways you could poke holes in it. But if you have, by most metrics, the healthiest NFL season, that's more about luck usually than anything else. Unless you're a team that's a front office that's obsessed with high draft picks that are hurt all the time and you always sign them thinking that they're just going to be healthy automatically. Sometimes it works, a lot of times it doesn't. But you get the point. Tampa had health luck and they had all their guys back. And now, guess what? Their secondary is a mess a month into the season. But they're still 3-1, and and they have Tom Brady. Green Bay, whatever the hell happened against New Orleans, and I will put myself into that group. The offseason of Aaron Rodgers, you're like, hey, this is what happens. This is how you look week one when you're sitting there bitching and complaining the whole time. Or or you look like the MVP of the league. So whatever Green Bay was week one, I don't think that's who they're going to be, as we've seen. And the Rams, who are my Super Bowl pick, um, despite the loss to Arizona, where it felt like Arizona really put it on him, I think we realized with their defense and with their position guys, you know they're gonna everybody's gonna look bad a couple weeks each season long. So it feels like those five. Now, the reason I bring that up is that I almost kind of always default Seattle because of Russell Wilson. Despite all of the turmoil around this team from last year, and again, a trade demand that Russell Wilson tried to say wasn't a trade demand, but if you were gonna trade me, here's a bunch of teams that I like. Uh, They were 12-4 and last year. They finished sixth in offensive efficiency. They averaged 28 points a game, uh, and they still changed their offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, who, as all of us know, and if you're a Seattle fan, just locked into it. Like, oh, yeah, Shane and Russell Wilson, these guys are on the same page. Let Russ cook, all this different stuff. Uh, The Seahawks have never had a losing record during the Pete Carroll-Russell Wilson era. They made the playoffs eight times in nine seasons. The offense has finished in the top ten in efficiency seven times during that stretch so it was always a eh, look I mean they're still going to have a good record and we realize the NFC West unless you're an AFC West guy those are the two toughest divisions and you know they beat the Colts in the opener they lose to the Titans who were kind of a mess too they blow that game they get smashed by the Vikings they win a close one against the Niners who ended up changing their quarterback as of an injury and then I don't know. I mean, I know Geno Smith had the football with a chance to come back and win this thing. I didn't think Seattle looked like a very good football team last night. And at two and three, if you've watched them all five weeks, that kind of feels right. And it certainly doesn't feel like a team that's in that first tier of title contenders that I always default to because I think Russell Wilson's that great of a quarterback and the numbers back it up. Like it just was on, it just kept being so weird to me. And I'm like, you guys actually still win a ton of games. And I know last year the offense dipped down dramatically what it was in the first half of the second half. But defensively, they were a middling defense You know, we didn't like it. Remember the first month of last season where they were on pace to give up the most yards ever in the air like their passing defense was atrocious. Uh, The Pats had that game with Cam Newton were like, hey, look how great Cam Newton is. And you're like, well, actually, it's against Seattle right now. But they still were able to kind of look right the ship enough to have a mediocre defense that went along with Russell Wilson, a quarterback. Well, this year, it's not even close to being mediocre. Mediocre would be great. They're 28th. In yards per play allowed defensively right now. Their other metrics are going to go down even more so after last night. They can't get any pressure. Um, if they don't blitz last year, they got zero pressure. they were one of the worst pressure teams. And we're seeing this all play out again defensively. And so, look, you don't need me to tell you if Russell Wilson's not there. But it wasn't going that well with him because the defense has taken such a dramatic step back from just being mediocre last season and still having a 12-4 and year. So, We'll see what happens with the Wilson Finger thing. If he comes back, I have a hard time giving up on the guy because, again, I just think he's that terrific and can carry a team. I think he's had moments throughout his career where he's carried his team more than any other quarterback in the league. Um, But right now, that defense almost is uncarryable. Now, if you're holding out hope, you could say they actually have, because they play the AFC South and NFC North, the preseason bet MGM stuff had the Seahawks is actually having the easiest schedule, which I know is really confusing because you're like, what are you you talking about? It's the NFC West. But they're cross-matching on the other divisions. However, they do the numbers on it. They had them having the easiest schedule. We can argue about it, but let's just say it wasn't the hardest schedule. But here's the problem. Here's the number right now. The Seahawks have allowed 450 plus yards of total offense in four straight games, which is now tied for the longest streak in NFL history. You guys know how much I love the national pastime. So big baseball guy last last couple of weeks or so We haven't done much on it. Let me. I, this is what's um, interesting to me. I watched the Sox take out the Yanks with my dad. That was a pretty cool moment because um, it's just what we do. We've done it for quite a few decades now, and and to be home, I'm, I'm back in L.A. now. But to be home and you know get to sit there and, and watch the Sox Yanks with him was a pretty cool moment. And I uh, I was like, yeah, I don't think they're going to be Tampa Bay. I for personally, I'll I'll tell you, I can't believe this Red Sox team is even in the playoffs. I know I'm not going to just bog down on what my projections, although I won my fantasy league, guys. I don't know if you knew that. Did I tell anyone that? It was a tough year, tough sledding. Congrats, dude. Yeah. It's you huge. Know, auto-drafting was tough. It, I didn't want to auto-draft at all, guys, and I'd signed up for a random league, and it auto-drafted for me. So, of course, it took Mookie, Mookie Betts one, um, and then it took, like, Bellinger, and then, of course, Strasburg always ends up on my team. And I think he's, like, historically, if you look at how much he's actually pitched, you're like, yeah, I don't know that he's really the guy that we talk about. So I had to do a lot of waiver stuff on the fly, guys. It was an absolute grind, you know, trying to piece together some closers. It auto-drafted me um, three shortstops, which was a constant shuffling of Correa Anderson and Turner, you know, was like, how do I do this? It was eight teams though, and I got seventy of of eighty points, so I I fucking dominated, and I I could do a longer pod on it, maybe take you guys through all the transactions another time, but maybe we'll Bonus do that on a, We'll do that, yeah. We'll do it It'll on Wednesday.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just a Wednesday, go through all twenty five picks of the auto draft. I had to re like I had to fix the first top ten auto draft picks. It was a disaster. I ended up picking Riley up from Atlanta, which I felt really good about. Not a lot of guys saw that coming, but uh, I did. Outfield was fucking shambles all year, but Austin Riley saves the day. Okay, um, let me. The reason I'm bringing any of this up: Do you guys care about any of this? Have you have you watched an inning of playoff? About baseball? About your fantasy league? <laughs> no, no. I know you. Don't. I know no <laughs> one does. That's why I did it. Have you watched a minute of playoff baseball, Ceruti?
1: I actually have. Um because of two things one uh I work with John Stremsky and Jason Goff on two of the on our two new local shows the full go and New York New York so you know we do shows after those games so I have throughout this entire season I've actually been more into baseball than I ever have and that means I went from a zero out of ten to a one out of ten and um you know if it wasn't for that I probably wouldn't be super locked in but I will say JJ and I did go to a Yankees Red Sox game over the summer And I forgot how awesome it was to be at a baseball game. There's a very big difference between being at a cool baseball game and sitting there and being among the fans and all that whole thing and then watching it on television. I don't really care. I don't really prefer to watch it on television. But uh, I, I was with you. I thought it was incredibly stupid how the Dodgers had to play in that wild card game. And I was talking with our friend Michelle Smallman who's a Cardinals fan. So she was obviously very biased about it. And she's like, "No, that's the beauty of baseball. It's amazing that like this team would come out of nowhere and and I was like, "Michelle, you're only saying this because you're a Cardinals fan." So, I thought that was an incredibly stupid rule. I'm glad the Dodgers won the game, sorry Michelle, what's up? But uh, by the way, no, I don't I'm I don't, not don't any rep- more locked in on baseball than I was before.
0: I don't appreciate the tone in your Michelle Smallman voice.
1: Well, listen, we we all love Michelle, but she is as big of a homer as they come. And I would say that to her face. She is she is Miss St. Louis. So whenever like the St. Louis thing kind of comes up, I sort of roll my eyes. But uh, but no, she rides hard for the Lou.
0: She does. Um,
2: how about you, Kyle? Any baseball? Um, I'm firmly in the camp of I have to be there. Like I'll have much more fun sitting at a Hudson Valley Renegades double A game than I would watching a Dodgers
0: playoffs game um but that, being that was said, one of the great playoff games uh, that was an incredible game you wouldn't have enjoyed that that being
2: said I have okay. to watch because we can't do the Bill Simmons podcast until the Red Sox are done playing so I have been watching a couple <laughs> things All right. Um, so it's
1: purely like a calendar thing for you you're just whenever the game's over you know you're ready to rock
2: exactly I like okay, it because he's jumping in 30 seconds the zoom is going hot 30 seconds after the game so I just have to know when to jump in so I have I been say, watching in the background.
1: This sums up my baseball experience, though. I, I saw the game was tied. What was it? It was Bob the Ninth, right? Um, Dodgers, yep. Cardinals. And I was like, you know what? You know, I, we just finished taping something. I'm like, let's. I'll, I'll turn it on. I'll see what's going on. And I just missed the walk-off home run. So that was my baseball experience. You
0: turned it off?
1: I turned it on, like, probably 30 seconds after he hit the walk-off. Oh. Because <laughs> I was looking on the app, and I was like, oh, it's tied. I'll just turn it on. Nope. Missed it. Good times.
0: There, is, there really isn't anything like tense playoff moments. Um, it really is. It's an, it's an unbelievable product. And, you know, I've already ranted about the Dodgers having to play an extra game and you can sit there and say like, Hey, this is amazing. That Look at all this drama for this one game. You're like, okay, yes, but there's a line. Like we're still going to have those moments in five and seven game series. We are. So, I mean, I understand your point, but like, would you want an NBA finals game one to be decided next basket wins? Like that'd be intense. It'd be really intense. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Do we want do we do we want to play to seven in NFL games? Be really fucking intense. Be really intense. But I mean,
1: that's kind of what overtime is. It's
0: yeah, NFL. but at least we sat through the other sixty minutes. I just look at some of this expansion stuff and go, they're just offering up more inventory to sell and. That's not exactly surprising to anybody, but there are going to be times like the Dodgers Cardinals game where I just go, this isn't this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous that a team has to play another game after winning 106 to get in. Um and on top of that, now they have to play the Giants and you can't figure that part of it out. And with the unbalanced schedule in baseball, where you have the AL Central, which consistently just the rest of that division is so bad. I mean, the fact that you had the Sox, Yanks. Blue Jays and Rays all in the same division. And people say, well, yeah, you got to beat up on Baltimore. Yeah, but they all had to play each other like 60 times. So it's not created equal at all on how some of these teams win divisions versus what happens with other divisions. But I mean, it's the same thing with the expanded playoff scenario with the 7, 8, 9, 10 thing in the NBA. Yes, it's exciting. Yes, I will enjoy the games there's going to be years where you go, why is seven? Why is the seven seed playing in another game now, potentially? Like, what if somebody's hamstring isn't feeling right? And then they miss out and then they're losing, they have to win another. Like, I'm just telling you, if you keep doing this, we're going to have results where you're going. Yeah, that was fun. But now what? Um, And again, everybody loves upsets until you have to watch them play for a championship. All right, let's talk to Kevin Clark. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Kevin Clark. Joins us. We're going to talk a little football, maybe even a little boxing, and we didn't talk about Lando with our just such a. I mean, it's it's been two weeks. I'm still having a hard time. McLaren team over here. Although I don't know, I don't want to go too far because I know I'm just going to get derailed in the whole thing. So I started the podcast talking a little bit about Seattle, where we knew their defense wasn't great last year, but I still felt like a 12 and four. It's kind of weird that so much shit was talked about him, but then you know you watch last night's game and then you look at the defense that's gone from mediocre to terrible. And I'm looking at the NFC and I go, you know, look, Seattle's certainly not in that first tier of teams. Uh, give me a quick minute or two on Seattle and then I'm going to throw you who I think are the real contenders, which I think is a longer list than most would have in the NFC. All
3: right. There there are only four teams, according to PFF, who are allowing more than the Seahawks 6.2 yards per play right now. Uh, 24th in the EPA against like this is this is bad. And I kind of feel like we're always late on when a team builds an identity around a particular position group, we're always kind of late in declaring that position group dead. Um, The Seahawks obviously have had some great defenses over the years. Uh, That's not happening right now. And so I think that there are uh, real questions. If, if, if Russell Wilson is out for any meaningful amount of time, uh, it's kind of over for them. And then you start to look at the division and Kyler Murray is going to save Cliff's job. The Rams are obviously really good. Um, The Niners will figure it out at some point. Uh, It's, I'm, I'm getting, I, I am, I am deeply, uh, in the bag for Russell Wilson as someone who can uh, gloss over mistakes and be a deodorant, but I don't think that, uh, there's much of a path here if he's hurt at all.
0: Okay. So, um, you said something in there of, you know, the defensive numbers are something that I went over too. Like, is the window closed? Are you ready to just say, Hey, the window has closed and Seattle is a real title contender.
3: Kind of, yeah. I mean, I I didn't really think that... I mean, they could... We always do an exercise at the beginning of the year. How many teams can win the Super Bowl? And you have to throw in the Seahawks because you only need a little bit of improvement. Look at Dallas right now. And I'm not saying Dallas can win the Super Bowl, but they went from 28th in defense to 16th, and that's all you needed. That's all you needed, was just get a little bit better Get Dan Quinn to come in and scheme them up. Draft a couple guys who are impact players, and that's all we need. That's how modern defense works. This isn't 1985 anymore, where you can have a defense carry you. This is 2021, where you just get a bunch of great chunk plays on on offense, and then just. B- you know, be good in the red zone. You know, that's something Dominic Foxford said a couple weeks ago on our podcast. It's like, you can't stop anybody now. So just focus on the red zone and just focus on turning touchdowns into field goals and you'll get there. Um, so the Seahawks don't need all that much of an overhaul. They just need to get better. But this year, yeah, it, it's not. And then Jay Glazer comes out and says that uh, if Russell Wilson's 1 million percent gonna ask for a trade after this season, I, I, don't, I don't know where they're going exactly.
0: That's a high percentage. That's, that's a- way up there. Well, he definitely is. I mean, what he did is he he planted the seed for like you guys know I'm gonna ask out of here, but he did it in the most Russell Wilson way ever, where he just didn't want anyone to not like him. So, you know, he couldn't go he couldn't go Ben Simmons on this. He had to go Russell Wilson, where it's like, hey, I'm I might wanna leave. And he's definitely gonna wanna leave. I mean, this is somebody that Wants to build his brand bigger, and I don't think he feels like he can do it in Seattle. So I don't even know if it has as much to do with the defense. I mean, the offense was always good before, and then they changed the coordinator, so now he's good to go and everything. I mean, this is someone that wears his his logo in every public appearance that he does. Now he did it in the subway ad. He did it with a sit down with Aaron Andrews. Like guys, I guess Brady. I don't know. Is Brady always a hundred percent logo guy? No, he isn't. Not in Subway at least. He had no. like a... Roger like Federer, a John Elliott, a big logo guy. On. Federer. Roger yeah. Federer
3: is one of the biggest logo guys, I would say. Nick Nurse, I believe, has a logo.
0: He does. Seen
3: that? He does.
0: That would be a great segment. Who is the least deserving of a logo that has a logo? Uh,
3: I, so, the night that Nathan Peterman had his <laughs> really bad game.
0: The six-pick game?
3: Yeah, I was Googling Nathan Peterman and I found that there was a Nathan Peterman official store that sold, I'm not making this up, Um, they I'm sold ordering. Nathan Peterman face throw pillows i'm getting a hoodie right now (laughs) i'm not making this up i don't know if the store is still online but uh we did some content with that when uh when that was happening
0: okay so let me run through the nfc teams here you just say give me yes or no and a thought all right uh winning the nfc playing in the super bowl arizona cardinals
3: it can happen. It can happen. Um, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is all that good of a coach, but Kyler Murray's on another level right now. He's glossing over everything. Um, Stephen Ruiz on our podcast a couple of days ago was saying Cliff would be a great run game coordinator going forward in the NFL, but not necessarily some of the passing schemes are are still suspect. Um, I just don't. I, I think Kyler is good enough to save his job, and that kind of worries me. Uh, I I think that Cincinnati and Arizona are in the same boat a little bit as far as the success that the quarterbacks are showing might keep regimes in place, and that might not be a great thing for the long term. Having said that, yes, there's a pathway. Arizona is really good. They have the talent. Um, Kyler Murray is taking a MVP-style leap. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a, you know, at least a, a divisional round team.
0: I'm going to get to Dallas last because you spent some time on Dallas, so I want, yeah. I want more Dallas content from you. So I'll just jump to Tampa. I had mentioned in the open... Incredible health last year. All those guys coming back a month in, the secondary is a mess, but it's still Tampa.
3: It's still Tampa. And, and we saw this last year where they're getting the crap knocked out of them in like November and nothing mattered. Um, so I think that the health will be a big, big thing. The cornerback thing is really scary. And it's funny because, you know, I heard an anecdote a couple of weeks ago where someone was telling about the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And that they had this epiphany really early that the dam had broken, and that they didn't—they were—they were optimistic that the offensive line could hold up. And then as soon as the game started, they were like, "Oh wow, like we've actually passed the threshold." And it happened pretty early in the Super Bowl. We know it happened. And with cornerbacks right now, you start to run through it. Richard Sherman had an awful game. I'm optimistic he'll get a little better, um, but he looked really bad. But when you start losing your cornerbacks, at some point you have the same epiphany the Chiefs had, you know, Chiefs brass had in the Super Bowl, which is like, oh, what, what the dam is broken, and we can't, we can't get this back. We can't go out and sign guys off the street and and play cornerback. And so, yeah, I'm really concerned about the depth of cornerback. But I also know that I'm literally, I mean, like it, it's funny that, that you know the whole thing you can't count out Tom Brady. It's a cliche for a reason. It's true. Like he he is he is taken worse problems and solve them so i'm not counting them out i'm just saying at some point the cornerback and defensive back thing becomes a significant problem green bay uh really good really good roster and you know listen i've told the story a million times but a lot of smart people in the NFL, when I criticize the defense or criticize the position group in September, say, listen, there's no more preseason. There's no, you know, to speak of. These guys don't even play anymore. Uh, there's no more two days in training camp. September really is the preseason. And so it's hard for me to make any declarations. Um, but I, I still think Green Bay is is firmly in the running. And I haven't, listen, I picked them to win the Super Bowl. I'm not moving off that at all. PFF had
0: their roster rank, and I, I like. Those because you know it just gives you a sense of how they're looking at their entire roster, their fifty three man roster. They had him sixth before the season started. I don't know if people like we we build up the Rogers part of it as if because I think he's guilty of spreading this message that he's playing with nobody's out there. Yes, and you because you know, he does. I mean, it's his fault. Um, and then you're like, oh, and again, you know, if you don't like PFF, or you don't like everything. Sixth is not twenty sixth.
3: Uh, yes, 100. Listen, they have some of them. Jair Alexander is incredible. When, 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 when all these guys are healthy, when all these guys yeah. are healthy, I'm not going to go through their individual situations right now. David Bakhtiari is a top three tackle. Devontae Adams is a top three receiver. Jair Alexander is a top three defensive back. Um, Brian Goodenkunst has done a really good job. I was just listening to a podcast um, with Dan Orlovsky and, and Scott Pioli, and they were talking about how good this Packers offensive line has been and giving uh, prop props for, for building it. And I think that because of this, it's funny because uh, on the Cowboys podcast, we did the American Fellowship of the Day, Bob Sturm, who was our guest, who's awesome, said that he thinks a lot of the McCarthy bad PR is because he did the worst thing he could do, which is go against Aaron Rodgers publicly. Um, and, and you lose that battle every time and Twitter turns on you and all that stuff. And I kind of feel like Gutenkunst is in a similar situation right now. Um, where because he pissed off Aaron Rodgers, we're actually now dinging him as a general manager. And I, I don't actually think he's he's done some really nice moves.
0: All right. Well said. Uh, what do you have on the Rams? And then we'll get to the Cowboys.
3: <sighs> Matthew Stafford's looked weird over the past two weeks. And this isn't yeah. him, maybe. It's no. just weird. It's just weird missing throws. Um, I, I like that they got Robert Woods a little more involved yesterday. Um, but I still think that they're a top, top team. They're they're top-heavy, but that can work. Um, you know, I, I talked to Thomas Dimitrov about this a couple of weeks ago, and they talked about... He said that the Rams, everyone thinks that they've turned their attention away from the draft, and that's not really true. They've only just turned their attention to, to dominating in the middle rounds. And I think that they're going to need some of those third-round, fourth-round guys to pop a little bit. Um, but I think that there's, I think there's still... All you can ask for this time of year is still a path. And, and I think that in the NFC, they're they're in the mix as, as well as anybody. I think the list
0: ends at the Cowboys. So that means I have Arizona, yes. Dallas, Tampa, Green Bay, the Rams, and then there's a cutoff. As of now, you know, the Panthers would be in the playoffs. The schedule is incredibly easy. We'll see what happens yes. the rest of the way. San Francisco, turned things around and get it right. New Orleans is another team that I wouldn't necessarily write off. Um and you know, the Vikings oddly could have a different record here, but I, I really didn't like what I saw against them uh, in the Cleveland game. So, all right, so let's say it's those five teams, right? We don't need to add anybody else as of right now, the beginning of October weekend.
3: I agree with that. The The, the Panthers thing has been weird. I think this, the Steph Gilmore thing is fine. Um, I think it's a good move. It's what smart off-front offices do, which is take a flyer on a guy. I saw it the other day. If he leaves in free agency, they get a fifth-round comp. Pick, yeah. Which, so, I, the Patriots just wanted him out, I guess. They just wanted him out. And this is something people have talked about, but, like, you know i think Belichick is really good at taking the temperature of the room and saying okay i you know if if he's asking for a new contract or whatever it's just better to have him out of the building uh but still that's that's a that's a bit of a head scratcher that they couldn't even get the equivalent of what the comp pick would be if he left him for agency
0: yeah just so people understand that again if gilmore leaves as a free agent of the team he's under contract you get a fifth round compensatory pick so the pats got a sixth in the trade right and- as we've, you know, stated, and I finally figured this out, you know, years and years ago, like whatever you think the math is on an NFL trade, just forget it because you just it's like, hey, this guy's really good. What can we get from him? A fourth? <laughs> like, Wait, what? Or or <laughs> when the guy, the one that I always love is like when the guy has a fake number left on his contract, like you're not right. getting this year. And like, yeah, I know. I'm Like, OK, we're going to cut you. And then he signs for like two million somewhere else. Be Like, well, could you, couldn't we just kept you for two million? Be like, nah, like
3: do just- you remember? Do you remember when Akib Tlaib got traded to the Dolphins in a salary dump and they were just taking on contracts? Yeah, it's like the Brock Osweiler thing with Cleveland. But go ahead. Yeah, I went to Miami to do a story about that whole process thing like a month into that. And in the locker... The Dolphins players in the locker room. The Dolphins players had set up a fake shrine to Akib Talib and they had like all of these because he never showed up. He never he wasn't supposed to show up, but then they pretended he was on the team, and they had like a little corner of the locker room that was his trading cards, his photos, like a little bit, like a little fake shrine to Akib Talib because they had uh, gotten a gotten a pick uh, for just taking on his contract.
0: I love that. Did they have a bad record that year, though?
3: The Dolphins. It was the year yeah. that they got destroyed by everybody.
0: Yeah, that makes me think that's not a sign of a team that's like real locked in and playoff. Run, <laughs> but I also, I also love it. If I'm to leave, I'm like that's how I roll. Like people make shrines to me. I don't even, I don't even spend a minute in the
3: building. I love I think that. he's. Right. I think we're going to build a shrine to him on Small News Day next week. You got him. I, you know, uh, it's some buzz. It's some buzz building.
0: That's good. Ask him about Wyoming. I will. <laughs> he had a better time than I did, apparently. Um okay. Dallas. Dallas. Three and one. The, yep. the goal, get to mediocre on defense. You yeah. spent a ton of time talking about him this week. Yeah. Give me give me the full Dallas breakdown. Cause I, I think Dak so, is that good and I'm in. Dak's I'm second. totally in.
3: I, I I'm in too. I'm in too. And it's interesting because I had come into my research saying, actually, Mike McCarthy's bad coach. Kellen Moore should be promoted in the same way. i you know, I, I joke he's not the same, but like, you know, there was a staff with the Giants where Tom Landry and, and Vince Lombardi were the O and D coordinators, and the Giants let those guys walk, and the head coach was busy reading the newspaper, literally during team meetings. Um, and so I'm very sensitive to the wait, kind say, of that sh- say that again, say that again. Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry were on the same staff with the Giants when they when they played in the 1958 National uh, uh NFL Championship game. And the Giants, the head coach, his whole thing, he would just like read the newspaper and those two guys would, would take it away. And then the Giants let both those guys out the door. Um, which in hindsight was a bad idea. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. I know that's a Monday morning quarterback thing, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have let Tom Landry and Vince Lombardi out the door is one of my, one of my core tenants. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that they're that either of those guys are are Kellen Moore, obviously. Um, but what I am saying is that I'm sensitive, with like the Kyle Shanahan, Dan Quinn thing is is intriguing to me. Um, what what happens when you have a, a offensive coordinator who, or any coordinator who looks better than than your head coach? And it's funny to me, because I put this to Bob Sturm, who knows the Cowboys better than anybody. And his point was undoing Jason Garrett is actually a pretty it's 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 a skillful exercise and there's a lot of jason garrett still in Dallas. and undoing it's almost like a college job you have to change the culture a little bit mike mccarthy is doing that according to Sturm. and i came away from that conversation with more um respect i would say for for mccarthy just as far as you know one thing Sturm says that you know they're going out of a different tunnel now they're no longer going through one of those nightclub things and Garrett, you'd see this stuff. And I I think he's a nice guy. I'm I'm sure I haven't spent that much time with him. But you would go to training camp in Oxnard, and there'd be some CSI Miami actor on the sideline. And like part of Cowboys culture is going and spending 20 minutes with that guy, you know, Um, and I just don't think that that's really happening anymore. Um, And, you know, part of that is there's just no normal training camp anymore, whatever. Um, But there's actual aggression now, aggressiveness in play calls, which is important. They're actually going for it on fourth down. They're faking it with with uh, Fossil, a special teams coordinator. And I think that there are, you just take Dak, who we say he's, he's good enough for anything. He's really, really good. You add in at least some, some common sense play calling. And a defense under Dan Quinn. So I I like what Dan Quinn has done with this defense. It's fast. They bet big on defense in the draft, and it worked. Uh, Mike Parsons is awesome at two positions, apparently. Odigizawa has a defensive tackle with more pressures than basically anybody had all of last year from the defensive tackle position. Um, he's the truth. Diggs is... If some of the draft guys think that Diggs is not as good as his interception numbers have looked, but he's really good. He's really athletic back there. So... I don't know, man. I'm starting to I'm starting to believe in this Cowboys team. The funny thing for me is that I had gone on all these radio shows and shows in the summer and said, "Man, the Cowboys are going to be really good. We're sleeping on the Cowboys." And then the, when it came time for picks, it was that week that Dak was out. Jerry Jones is calling the Texas Rangers to find out about his shoulder injury, and I'm saying, oh, "I was a little weird. I, I might be out on the Cowboys." So I didn't even pick the Cowboys to do anything after eight months of hyping them up. But I'm back, and I really like what the Cowboys are are able to do.
0: Let's talk a little Urban Meyer. Um, we Vilma came on, threw out a theory that I don't think was picked up nationally about how it was all staged. I love my guy Vilma, but I, I didn't know I disagreed with him. Let's just leave it at that. Uh Brett McMurphy, who covers college football for the athletic, worked with him at ESPN, like him a lot. He had an interesting thing where he contacted yeah. basically all the ADs at major programs. It was like, Would you hire Urban Meyer? And I think it was like 70% said no. Um, it might've been even higher. I'm not, I'm not sure. I could go back and look it up. I get it. Nobody likes him. I'm not defending him. I'm not taking urban Meyer's side, but I don't, I guess I should start with the NFL part of it, but I couldn't help but read that tweet and go, that's like asking somebody, would you steal money from your mother? Like everybody's going to say no, but you know, that there's going to be times where like, she's getting a little older. Yeah. Like she never supported my dreams. What's she going to do with the money? Or you're younger and you're like, "I was a weird year, Just Travel a lot. Was was a big into festivals. Like there are people that end up stealing money from from a parent. Um, yeah, I don't think that they plan on doing it. It's the same that goes to Urban Meyer. It's very easy to
3: say you wouldn't do something when you don't have the option to do it. And I read, I read a lot of college football message boards. I read a lot of Miami message boards, and there's a lot of photoshops of Urban Meyer wearing a turnover chain this week. Is all I'll say about that. Um, I think they'd take him in Miami. I don't know if the administration would, but it was funny. I saw a tweet that I thought put it perfectly that um, no one has ever gone quicker from the next USC coach to the next Arizona coach uh, than Urban Meyer, which I think is a good way to put it. You're, you're recalibrating your where you're at. I don't think it was staged. I just want to put that on record. I think, uh, I think there are better ways to get fired uh, than ruining your reputation and having your wife delete her own Twitter account. Um, so no, I don't think it was staged. Uh, I just think he's not... Up for, you know, I mean, the guys who have left the NFL after coming from college pretty quickly, you can tell that they don't want to be there. And, you know, Lou Holtz famously said, after he took the Jets job, he said, God didn't put me on the earth to coach pro football. Um, Nick Saban said that he realized basically early in his second year, he was like, I'm never going to have the talent advantage. I hate it. I can't control the draft. I can't control free agency. I'm out of here. Um, that stuff's on record. And what's interesting to me is the process that Urban Meyer took. I was so optimistic about this, Ryan, because I thought that he was going to be a scheme coach who pretended to be a culture coach. And this is a guy who, even though he's not a play caller, he at Bowling. I I talked to Dan Mullen about this for, for an hour one time, about how they had no talent at Bowling Green, and they basically invented huge parts of what's now the modern spread offense because of that. Because of their the limitations with the quarterback, you know, they had basically had one good receiver. They invented the slot slot in in uh, in college basically at that point. Um, reinvented it rather. And then they went to Utah and, and did the same, even though they had a better quarterback, obviously. So I was expecting some real good schemes and instead I got like a guy who, you know, spent a week with Bill Belichick last year and decided that he's going to build the Patriot way. Um, there's a I was listening to an interview with a guy with Orson Wells a couple months ago, and he was talking about psychics. And he was talking about something called uh, a shut eye, which is someone who's a psychic and is just lying to himself all the time. But then they start to believe their own readings, and they're like, "Oh no, 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 no! This is good. This is good for like. This is actually what's going to happen." And that, to me, is what happened with Urban, the culture coach, is that he, I think, he was trying to lie to the public and be like, "I'm actually, I'm Mister Culture." And then he started to believe that, and then he tried to take it to the NFL, and and it failed quite quickly. Um, and I'm surprised at for someone that who I you know, listen, I Urban Meyer at points has been my least favorite person on the planet. I was at Miami when he had the Gators rolling. I went up there when I was a sophomore or a junior, and we crossed midfield once. Miami had Matt Bosher hit a hit a clutch field goal to get us on the board. Um, but I I, I was I'm disappointed in. Uh, the naivete he's shown in being a pro coach. This is separate from the incident. I'm saying he just doesn't look like he has it to be a pro coach. And then you add in the incident, and I'm, I'm looking for Kellen Moore in Jacksonville next year.
0: You think Jacksonville will get rid of him after this year, or you I, think he'll I, I do would. a health thing? I would.
3: Or? I would. i what, what? How do you? Who? Who is? You know, I, I I've seen this bandied about this week. Who's lost the locker room in pro football and gotten it back? Tom Coughlin, I guess. At Urban Tom Coughlin's better coach, Urban Meyer's won at the NFL level. Uh, John Harbaugh, I think, lost some of the Ravens' veterans at one point, got it back a little bit. Uh, but it's a narrow path, man. Once it goes, it goes, and I don't think the Urban Meyer has the credibility right now to get it back.
0: I just can't believe at the football level he couldn't, you know, after a year do a better job at just the football part of it like that seems impossible to me like i i think the nfl gets really protective like no college guy can come in now if you hate the whole process of like a saban not being able to control it the way you can control it in college and you should never even bother going um but these guys are really competitive too and i remember like hanging out with pete carroll when he was still at usc because I would go out and do some of the games. He was always gracious. He'd spend time with you. He came by to promote a book. We had about a half an hour together in a room waiting to get a taping in. And after I got done talking to him, and he was so revealing about it, I was like, this guy's going back. Like, he's he's going back because he's pissed. He's pissed about the Jets. He's pissed about the Pats. He's like, he can't believe, like, people don't think I can do this. And so, you know, Urban, his exits aren't exactly uh, glamorous, (laughs) but even if people don't like him, i'm not talking about the locker room because like he went into this nobody liked him immediately at least from the outside but i can't believe that the football would just be horrible for like two years of urban meyer that just because it's never happened before with him even though i understand it's a different world and as i say this i imagine most people are disagreeing with me um let's uh let's go abroad here for a bit
3: Continued economic responsibility demands restraint in government expenditure, and last year we achieved the largest ever recorded reduction in the budget deficit: 1.5 billion. You
0: are Turkey? a huge, huge boxing fan. I We're am. Gonna start there. We're going to start there. Uh I had Tyson Fury on, heavyweight champ. How'd that and, but it was It had its ups and downs. Uh, <laughs> where are you on I loved it. the trilogy?
3: I love the trilogy. I love the trilogy. And These there's a couple, couple of fights. reasons for that. These were great, These were great I can't fights. wait for Saturday. And they, they uh, both boxers changed over the course of it. The world changed over the course of it. I would say, you know, I wrote this today on ringer.com, but... It's interesting to me because the, the last fight happened right before the pandemic started. And, and there was a study done many years ago that basically like everybody was born around the early 1900s. They all considered the summer and the spring before World War One to be the best of their lives. And it's not because everybody was peaking and crushing it back then. It was just the last normal thing became the best for them. That, that, that's just human nature. And so I think when everybody was in the building that night or watched it, like that was like the last good time for a lot of people. And you had Mahomes and Khalil Mack and Draymond Green and DiCaprio. And I I have a DiCaprio security nugget if you need it. Um, Throw it in now. Throw it in now. Okay, sure. So DiCaprio, I I was outside. I I was kind of in the tunnel outside of of there. And I see DiCaprio walking. Cap pulled all the way down, whatever. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to take a quick photo. Maybe send it to my DiCaprio friends, you know, whatever. It's, you know, I'm not trying to impress the guy. I'm not going to say, hey, I'm not going to stop him. I'm just going to take a quick little photo of Leo walking in. He's walking in totally alone. As soon as I take the, the camera out, I feel like I got a clean shot. And as soon as I press send, this hand just comes and just takes the phone away. Okay. Not in an aggressive way, doesn't knock it out of my hand, whatever. And I realize at the end of the sixth sense, DiCaprio has like five dudes but they're not surrounding him. They're like on the edges of the room, protecting people, taking photos from him. I've never seen anything like it. They're not huge dudes. They're normal plainclothes dudes. And he's got this like roving group of security guards who just take people's phones away from me. He gave it back to me. It was fine. But it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. From a, uh, from, we, from that standpoint.
0: we need more on the interaction. What happens? A guy grabs your phone from you. Yeah, and, he, what and he just
3: gave it back to me. He just gave it back to me. And they, kept, they, they move at warp speed. They move at warp speed. So he grabs the phone out of my hand. I don't take the photo and then he get he just hands it back to me kind of like lower on the, you know, so I so and then DiCaprio has gone by the time I even realized what's going on.
0: Did you get pissed or is it back in your hand so fast it doesn't even like
3: honestly, it was so quick. I could not believe it. I could not believe it. I I was also nope, did not say anything did not say anything and then but then you see as DiCaprio leaves the room that there's like four other guys with him who also do this. And they're all like 10 feet away from DiCaprio. So you can never tell. You can't tell until you're in it.
0: I don't know if that's weird or awesome. Like part of me thinks. I think it's
3: awesome. No, no, no. I think it's amazing.
0: But it's everybody else pointless. Ev- who, who cares? Like you can't have a
3: picture taken. At well. You? Okay. So first of all, my, my, my viewpoint on it was like, you know what? It is a little weird that I was taking a photo. Like I'm a grown man. Am I, I sent it to Bill. Fantasy. Am I sent it to fantasy. <laughs> I may have. May have, Chris Ryan. I'm gonna send it to Chris Ryan. Yeah, but he what? wasn't doing anything. He did it. He's just
0: walking just into an walking. arena. I have an issue with some of the the voyeurism of like, hey, let's like I read an article in the Wall Street Journal about the guy that took the Urban Meyer video and he was like, yeah. I like giving rich and famous people shit cocktails. And this guy didn't <laughs> like Urban, and you think like, okay, did Urban deserve all of this? You know, did these other, but most people would say, like, yeah, fuck him, rich guy, public figure, he's married. What the hell are you doing? I look at it a little differently. I know I'm in the minority on that one, but I look at this like, if DiCaprio's going to the biggest fight of the year and walking into a place with 15,000, and he's not even doing anything wrong, yeah. and you just want to take a picture of DiCaprio, although part of me is like, how cool would it be to? I had this theory, not even a theory. I was asking some of my buddies, it's not going to happen now. I was like, we should put together a group of four or five of us. And hire a camera crew and go to Europe, hit up like five spots and tell people we're filming this really popular American reality show. Think about that. Mm. So you have a camera crew, you have security, you'd have to have the means to pull this off and you hit up like four of the five, the biggest spots in Europe. I had to have done this in my twenties. That's when I came up with it. And none of us, I didn't have the money to do it. And now that I could afford it, although it still sounds like a massive waste of money, no one will do it with me but then you would just go and you would be at these clubs and you would have a camera crew filming you the entire time. So everybody would be like, who are these guys? So part, but DiCaprio already has that. He doesn't, he doesn't need to do that stuff.
3: So I think that he, I think having secret security is a flex because you also, it appeared when I saw DiCaprio walk in, I was like, oh, look, he's completely alone. He's just being a chill guy. But then I pushed it to the limit of a photo and I found out very quickly, he's got, you know, the five ex-CIA guys who are just going to just, make sure you don't take a photo of him to send to Chris Ryan. Okay. All right. So and again, all right, now back, Chris back Ryan's out of photo.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Look, to had to do it. I mean, we had to get all that from all angles. We had to cover that like a security detail.
3: So for me, this fight is amazing because Fury reinvented himself in the second fight. And I, I think if, so if you're not a boxing fan, uh, Fury was defensive for the entire first fight. He gets knocked down in the 12th round and he gets up. And just from a survival instinct part, a standpoint standpoint, he, just starts hitting Wilder and going at him, and he realizes that Wilder can be pressured, and it was a complete accident. So, a couple of things happen in the interim. Uh, he changes coaches at, at one point, and he just comes out and he is an offensive fighter in the second fight. And Wilder hated it, and he got the crap knocked out of him. Uh, that ended in the seventh round, and it changed so much about Wilder as a person. Like, I've only spent like an hour with Wilder, um, it went better than, than your fury thing, but um, you know, for. I, he he's he had this kind of swaggering personality, the kind of personality that comes with knocking forty people out publicly, and he lost that really quickly. And and I think that what's interesting is that boxing is like this, and but but all sports are like this, where you're constantly asking yourself, are you the person you think you are? Right, like that that's the question that sports is always asking you. And for Wilder, the answer was no. Like he he fought over over nineteen rounds, the best fighter he's ever fought, and he's lost. A lot of those rounds. Um, I saw the other day. Someone said he's lost 16 of those. If, if you if you actually scored it fairly, so Wilder becomes a conspiracy theorist. He said that his trainer Mark Breland, the guy who threw in the towel, was doing so because he was getting paid off or whatever by, by Fury. Um, he said that the gloves were loaded. He said that his water was spiked. Um, separate from that, he said that he lost because his costume was too heavy. Um, that that, that he seems to be like
0: him. that one. That one. All the other, yes, but that one seems to be a bit more on him his costume being too heavy.
3: <laughs> I agree with that. Um, so that I he became a different person. And so now he becomes a different boxer. So we hired Malik Scott, uh, who he actually beat in 2014, a former heavyweight, to teach him how to be a well-rounded fighter, teach him how to use the jab. I mean, the thing about Wilder is that he had the best right hand in boxing and he felt like that was all he needed. And then he went against... That's all he spoke. did.
0: It's all yes. he did. Like, early yes. on when I'd hear about Wilder and I'd go like, okay, let me check this guy out. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you're just yes. sitting, waiting to drop this right-hand bomb on guys. Now, I went back and watched both fights to prep for that interview. Waste of time. Uh-huh. And I was going to be like, hey, in the sixth, in the seventh, but I noticed this. Um, we didn't get to any of that. I will say this. Watching it the second time, knowing the result, I am very impressed with Wilder's chin. He got, he got rocked a bunch yeah. of times. And I'm like, I know eventually he got knocked down and he added the Mm -hmm. weight. So I'm going to ask you about the weight disparity now, but there's, I used to have a lot. Well, I don't want to say I I always have respect for these guys, but as far as his skills, I didn't have a ton of respect for how well-rounded his skills were because they weren't well-rounded, but he's tougher um, than I realized than before, you know, watching the fights a second time.
3: So he came into the ringer office after the first Luis Ortiz fight. And if you've never seen that, he was, he looked like he was going to lose um, and he stood up. He never got knocked down. Uh, he was certainly against the ropes a couple times, needed a breather, but he was getting the crap knocked out of him and he stood up the entire time. That's why I was like you. I was surprised that that Fury was able to, to actually knock him down. But I asked him about that and I said like, what's going through your mind? He said, I've never been nervous in the ring ever. He said his breathing is uh, he has some breathing exercises that that keep him calm all the time. And that's why I kind of think that kind of playing into what we're talking about, the picture here, I think for the first time he was nervous in the ring against Tyson Fury. Like, I think that second fight, he was just like, oh, crap. But that chin is still really strong. And I, I'm one of these guys. I, I tend to think that anyone who gets to elite, elite, elite boxing has an unbelievable chin. I'm like Canelo was just walking through Triple G shots and vice versa, by the way. Um, you know, if you're Amir Khan and you, you know, get hit and fall down, that's you're not going to have an illustrious career. So I love his chin. But I also think that if Wilder just makes a couple of adjustments. This fight, you you can't there's a listen, going back to what I said earlier, there's a there's a reason that you can't count Wilder out as a cliche because if the guy has the right hand like that, he has knockout power at all. It's like Mahomes being down two touchdowns, right? Like he has the capability to erase it so quickly. And that's why, you know, Simmons and I were talking this morning. This fight's a stay away for me for as from a betting standpoint. Boxing is something I like to bet on. I don't know what's gonna happen. There's a 20% chance that this Malik Scott guy taught. Wild or something, and they're not lying about changing their game, and he can actually do something.
0: Uh unless Fury has mailed it in, which you know, which he's, he's done tough, before, right? Which is a completely he has, and that's why I, I bring it up even as a proposal. But I, I do think he's the better fighter. Um, I
3: 100 percent agree with you.
0: So it'd be hard for me to pick Fury based on all these unknowns, and honestly, every time I hear Wilder like theorize on some of the shit you're just like I don't want to back that guy
3: Wilder yeah no, I, I'm a complete agreement with you I'm a complete agreement but, but I also think that if the soul searching worked then I think that there's um there's a chance that that he was able to rebuild himself you know Mark Kriegel was on a BBC podcast this week and he was talking about how the fights that they studied um, Joe Lewis, Max Schmeling to uh, Bo Holyfield to It was all guys changing their strategy, their rhythm, um, working the body more, and just becoming a different guy. The playbook is out. You know, I I I saw a video uh, before the first fight, before excuse me, before the second fight uh, by a guy named Lee Wiley, who actually works for one of these promotion companies now. But he's an amazing, amazing boxing YouTuber, and if you want to learn more about boxing, I would check him out. Um, But he basically made the point that Wilder was going to knock, could have knocked Fury out. Because he was realizing, and he did, he realized that he started to time Fury. And he started to realize that Fury had this pattern of movement um, that lent itself to being timed up and led to the knockdown. And that's why Fury had to change everything. And so I think what happens now is that Wilder has to change everything he's ever done. Keep that right hand but change everything else because Fury has timed him. Fury knows how to attack him. Fury knows how to go at him. He needs to. He needs to forget everything he's ever learned except the right hand, and and that's the only way Wilder can win.
0: That's that's asking a lot, man. Because all yeah, he's thirty five years old. He's thirty five right. years old. It's this right hand that's just cocked and. What I wanted to ask Fury was, you know, when you know it's there, because another interview, so he talked about how I thought his power was bullshit. I, I didn't think it was really there. He goes, the first couple of times he got me in the first fight, I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy really, really hits. You know, you're like, well, no shit. I mean, this is this is how the guy survived and ends up being who he's been. But to duck it for ten rounds, you're like, you know, eventually you feel like it's going to get you once. It's going to be completely nerve wracking. But we never got there.
3: It's insane. Well, I w- I will say this. The only reason I think there's a chance Fury's 33, and in the last fight he completely changed his style, and he went with a different coach, and he went to Kronk in Detroit, and he he learned how to be an offensive boxer, and that to me is why I think anything is possible in this fight. I think Fury is going to win. I think he might win convincingly. I'm just saying when a guy says he's changing everything, uh, sometimes you have to listen because we just saw it in the last fight. <laughs>
0: Okay, Kevin, we've got the Turkish Grand Prix. Yeah. And let's just just a quick pour it out for for Lando Norris leading the entire way two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. They don't go to the intermediates. Lewis Hamilton does. And Lewis ends up winning the race. It's just like, oh, so this Lewis guy just wins all the time still, even though they've had the battles with Red Bull. Uh, I loved... Lando, throughout, for our opportunity to hear him talk to the paddock, he'd be like, "Okay, like Lando's the most like happy-go-lucky guy ever," and he's just like, "Okay, thank you, excellent, thank you." And then it starts pouring rain, yeah, and he can't keep the car on the track. He was 20 something seconds up on Lewis's pace with five laps to go. And it was like immediately had lost six seconds. I think in the first turn, you're like, okay, yeah. this is going to work out. And then they check in with Lando as it's just falling apart on him. And he's not, he goes, don't talk to me right now. He starts screaming at him. But it's like, yep, this sounds like a guy that realizes. So now Lewis wins, uh, two weeks ago yeah. at, where was it again? I forget russia so- sochi sochi yeah because i was yeah. looking into those apartments i was like how great would it be to have a condo here at sochi right in the track i
3: think they're mo- i think they're moving that in a couple of years oh so right. you could get well, a deal you get a deal
0: that's why i haven't heard back from my realtor in sochi <laughs> okay uh as we head into the the uh <laughs> the turkish races i gotta tell you even though we have an alternate third jersey for red bull here yeah. for those that don't know we have red bull with uh with a different finish on their car Verstappen has said he just doesn't know what's going on with the car in some of the practice sessions. So I don't I don't like this for the young lion.
3: Yeah. So Hamilton was fastest <laughs> in practice this morning. Uh however, he's taking a you're, 10 place.
0: Let's just yeah. jump in. Your face as I try to set that all up. You're like, hey, get, do you want me to talk now?
3: No, no, that was not it at all. I was I, I have my <laughs> notes up. I oh, got my oh, notes. Okay. I got all my right. notes. Uh, right. Hamilton has a ten-place grid penalty. He did not take a full grid drop, which would have happened if he took. So he, t- he take he t- excuse me. He took one power unit component, the eternal combustion engine. He so upgraded. He, dropped, it. he yeah. He dropped ten spots, not the full grid drop. Um, part of this is to maintain points and just positioning because they know that Max will have an advantage in this. Um, so. Turkey, which is one of the crown jewels of the F1, just from a, uh, an architecture standpoint, um, yes. one of the best turn eight at Turkey, famous turn eight. I know everybody's can't walk down the street without anybody telling you about turn eight. Um, but I uh, Hamilton won last time in at, at this track. It has not been on before last year, and it was put on as a replacement last year. Before last year, I don't think they had raced there in ten years. Um, so there's not a huge sample there about what what it could look like. Uh, but. We know that Verstappen obviously took a a grid penalty last time out. And so this is becoming a bit of a strategy. And it's funny because we keep talking about this, but... You're getting to see now every facet because it's a really close title race. You're getting to see every facet of, of, of F1 strategy this year if you've hung with it. And now you get to see the are they taking are they upgrading all that stuff? Um, how much are they putting into it? And especially when you consider that next year uh, they're changing the formula to the point that not everybody can focus on this year's car uh, and how hamstrung certain teams are. So this is a this is a big deal. This, this 10 place penalty. Um, so Hamilton leads by two points and that could change this time Sunday
0: yeah turn eight just watching this heavy left it's got like four parts to it um I don't know much opportunity to pass here Kevin
3: I think there is I think there is I mean you 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 it's the combination of turns and straights here that make this this so intriguing um the the dorks love turkey and I'm I'm excited to see a second race there I'm in what a sports weekend
0: I know buckle up buckle up for this one okay all right we'll be back um,
3: are you still getting up and watching F one before your football day starts? Uh, I'm trying to, or I'll I'll watch it. I once noon starts, I kind of got to watch the pregame show because then you got you know you got Jay Glazer saying there's a one million percent chance that Russell Wilson's gonna be traded or whatever. So if I'm up and and moving and have two hours before the pregame show starts, I can I can usually fit it in. So right. yes,
0: we're not we're not on that program yet out west.
3: I understand that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I felt it. the
3: same way about soccer. See, in in New York, like there's all these soccer bars. The games are on like ten in the morning or eleven thirty, and it feels so good. But then, like seven a.m. Come on, man, that's too early on the West Coast. Six soccer
0: sometimes,
3: so, six sometimes. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, and our Spurs are just not not that not bringing it right now. So sleep. That's down, all right.
0: Tottenham's always been a second half club. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's Kevin Clark. Thank you. <laughs> See you, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for, are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television. Because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. QB stock game, Q1. The quarterlies are in. And I can run through how everybody's done to this point. And then we'll uh, take our shots at what we're going to do with our investment, with our portfolios here. Diversify the stuff. Hold position, sell, who knows? We got a lot of stuff going on. Okay. Uh Kyle is up 655 bucks, Kyle. Good job. Kyle bought Bridgewater shares, Herbert shares. He bought some Garoppolo shares, which uh he didn't make any money on, but he made him made some he made some good money on Stafford and Bridgewater. So Kyle's up six hundred and fifty five dollars. How do you feel about yourself, buddy? Feeling good. Um, you know. Jimmy
2: is not the only one disappointed in himself. So what can you do?
0: All right. I came in second, made money off of Stafford, made money off of Burrow, made some money off of Teddy Bridgewater, lost a couple bucks on Carson Wentz, only $2. Uh, but I made $900. So I'm up 18. So my portfolio right now, starting with $1,000 is at $1,837. $1, but the big winner is Saruti, who bought shares of Stafford, Burrow, and Darnold. Uh, and Wentz. The Darnold shares made him $1,600. So Saruti's portfolio from $1,000 is now $3,200. Cleaned up on Stafford, made a little bit of money on Burrow, lost $6 on Wentz, but now is up plus $1,600 in his Darnold position. So Saruti, we knew it was a great investment. We didn't expect this. So, you know, Q1, Sarudi is the leader. Yeah. I
1: mean, as I said at the time, the Darnold thing kind of felt like it shouldn't have been legal. Like like the sec might be looking into me here for some fraud situations. Um, and I think at the time I thought I, I said it would maybe triple or quadruple. It did more than that. I mean, he is the fourth highest. He has the fourth highest stock right now behind Kyler Murray, Matt Stafford and Teddy Bridgewater. So, uh, that's about as well as it could have possibly been. So your boy's gonna look to sell that real quick.
0: Okay. All right. So that's where we're at. So, um, Kyle, why don't you go first, tell us about the changes that you're going to make, if you're going to make any changes, because we do have the prices that will release a little bit later, I guess, um, if that's what we all want to do, uh, we'll put that out on the Twitter feed, so go ahead, Kyle, lead so, us off. So,
2: I think it's, it's painfully clear I'll be paying for second place, because there's only four quarters in a year, so um, I doubt there'll be anything quite like Darnold's opening quarter. Mm, so I don't know. I don't know. About, you don't know about that. I don't know, but I'm selling all of my Jimmy G stock, all of it, every last one of them. So that's $198 worth of Jimmy G. And I'm also selling all my Bridgewater stock because I don't think that the Broncos are going to be killing it forever. So that by my calculations is about $754 and 16 cents. And I'm going to buy 73 shares of Mac Jones, Jimmy G for Mac Jones. He's the future. <laughs> One's the past, one's the future, 73 shares of Mac Jones, and then I'm gonna buy 67 shares of Pat Mahomes, who's at 829, who's actually pretty, pretty low considering he was like at $13 last year or something. So I'm basically buying Amazon at the dip with 67 shares.
0: All right. So don't forget though that Jimmy G write off could could be all right when you do your taxes. So don't be too upset. That's Although fair. that doesn't really seem to ever work out as as much as when everybody tells you like, oh, don't worry about it, It'll just be right off. And you're like, is it? All right. So, uh, what's your what's your total then? What's your final thing now? As far as right now,
2: my total thing, well, with 73 shares of Mac and 67 shares of Mahomes, it's uh, I have 31 cents left over.
0: Okay. All right. Mac Jones at 272 a share. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Not bad. That makes some sense there. Okay. I have 1800 to play with, $1,837. i am going to sell all four positions. I'm out on Stafford because right now Stafford has the second highest share price behind Kyler Murray. Um, it doubled, it more than doubled, but I think I'm going to take my profits on that one. Burrow I made some money on. Wentz, I was going to hold it because it couldn't be this bad, but I thought I saw some good buys. You're right, Kyle. Amazon's on sale right now. So Mahomes at $829 a share when last year he was $1,106 when his final price. I'm going to buy 50 shares of that. Rogers is on sale right now. Rogers is actually the 13th highest share price at 771. So I'll buy 50 shares of him. So that's about 385 bucks. And then I'm going to get wild here with the remaining thousand bucks. I'm going to do 1,351 shares of Zach Wilson at 37 cents a share. I just think it'll get better. I think it'll get better. And I'm also going to buy 317 shares of Justin Fields uh, for five hundred thirty-five bucks plus, so that's pretty much my entire eighteen hundred fifty shares of Mahomes, fifty shares of Rogers, three hundred seventeen shares of Fields, at what is he a dollar sixty-nine a share? And then I'm just going penny stock here. I'm going pink sheets right here with Zach Wilson, thinking if he keeps playing, the QBR can't continue to be this bad, and it right now is the worst price that you can get because we can't do negative prices on Goff. Davis Mills and Trevor Lawrence. We we decided you can't issue shares of uh of a bankrupt quarterback at this point.
2: What about Geno Smith at five cents a share? <laughs> you
0: Gino's can take back. it if you want. I'm Actually, kidding. five cents a share. No, yeah, we well, can't. We can't. All right. So, Rudy, final, final move here.
1: All right. Uh I'm I'm a little bit jealous of you for having the balls to go and grab Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, who I think collectively have the second and or the third worst and the worst QBR right now. So you're right, they'll probably get better. My only concern with, with Fields was that. Are they, how many games are they going to win? Same thing with the Jets. Like, it might get worse, but we'll see.
0: Right. The win, just so people maybe jumping in on this, the win-loss bonus to this, which Saruti had to adjust for a full season over, Um, you know, that's where it can get a little tricky with this, too. But if you end up playing a full 16, you, your share price, again, there's just, I can't imagine my share price being that low again. So go ahead. I interrupted. Yeah,
1: no. So I have, I have 32, just over 3,200 bucks to play with here. Um. And I'm going to sell three out of my four guys. I'm going to sell Stafford because I think you're right. He is, you know, I don't. I just don't think there's any any more gain there. He's the second highest guy right now per share price. So I'm going to sell my 108 shares of him. I'm going to sell my 17 shares of Joe Burrow because I kind of feel like I don't have that many shares to begin with. And I think he's probably where he's going to peak at this season. So I'll sell him. And I'm obviously going to sell the Darnley because he's, I mean, I've made... off Sam Darnold alone, and he has the fourth highest stock price right now. It's not getting any higher. So I'm going to keep, unlike you, I'm going to keep Wentz though, because I just don't think Wentz is going to be any worse. And I'd like to not take a loss on that. So we'll just hold on to that. So I've got, like, I got about three grand to play with. I'm going to buy 151 shares of Pat Mahomes, buying a dip, just like you guys. That's uh, $1,251. Buy the dips. I'm going to buy the Josh Allen dip. Which is, I'm going to buy 160 shares. Josh Allen, I think, right now is the 12th highest share price, just under eight bucks. I think it'll go up. That's fine.
0: 7.89 um, a share. 12.
1: And my wild card one, which I don't really love with my remaining shares, give me 104 shares of Ryan Tannehill. He has the 19th highest stock price right now. The Titans are a 500 team. Um, I think he's better than what his QBR is right now. And I think they'll probably end up finishing over 500 because that division sucks and they played poorly in the beginning of the season. So I think I'll be able to make a little bit of profit there and maybe I could uh, I could hit it big again. So again, Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Ryan Tannehill. I almost bought Big Ben. I almost bought Big Ben, but I couldn't pull the trigger because I don't want to root for him.
0: No, the Ben thing I thought about at $1.50 a share, I love the Tannehill buy. He was on my potential. I got a, I got a Tannehill prospectus sent to me. Brownfield fun? And... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh
1: numbers didn't work for you. I get it.
0: The numbers just didn't work. But at five thirty seven a share, you're right, nineteenth best price or nineteenth lowest, whatever you want to say. He was eight seventy six a share last year. Um but look, the company's not performed well. And we don't know if this is a long term thing. We don't know if this is a shipping thing. You know, we've got we've got a bottlenecking everywhere with just
1: happy we're backed up. You know,
0: yeah. Absolutely.
1: Inventory, hi. <laughs>
0: All oh, right, let us, let us know what it's like listening to that segment on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to life advice. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking, and they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous
2: house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me
0: tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Okay, love the title of this one, Hitting on the Bartender. Hey, Ryan, I know this is a losing battle and a general no But can you hit on a bartender while she's working if she's in your general age bracket? Uh, Age bracket is probably not the most important thing. Um, It helps, but uh, you got to know yourself. And some of us look in the mirror and we see something that's not there. Um, Some of us are so self-aware that we get in our own heads. But yeah, um, I, I think how you look and how she looks is the determining factor here. But okay, we continue with the email. I'm talking... Three or four years in your late 20s. So, all right, if she's 25 and you're 28, 29, yeah, not a problem. Again, I know this is a nope, don't do that thing, but if someone, say, I don't know, me, were to hit on a bartender on the clock in your years of industry experience, what would be your advice on how to do it? Crush me or not, I don't care. I'm pulling up from the logo regardless. She's smoking hot. All right, this is uh, an age old dilemma. I get it. I have. I think great perspective on this from being um, the patron and also the bartender who also bartended um, with uh, many women. So here's the deal. You better have your shit tight. I mean, you better be like Jesse Palmer type stuff if you're going to pull this off. All right. Because if she's a gorgeous bartender and she's at a bar and guys, are all she does is get hit up. OK, so she's built up calluses, man. All right. She's she's been deadlifting for her entire professional career, if you get the point. Um, so you have to be on it. You have to be smooth. You have to be funny. You have to be efficient. You have to get in, make a make a comment that sets you apart from every other shithead that's been trying to do this, but then also not linger too long because she's got a job to do. You got to pick up on all the signs, which, again, is a developed. Uh, Talent, it's your instincts. Everything has to be just perfect with this. So I would say, if you're going to try to pull this off, ninety-five percent of us are already eliminated from this thing to begin with. All right. Um, but if you're going to try, know how to order, right? Know how to order. And if you bartended, don't tell her that you bartended. All right, not right away. If if you get a second level of conversation, um. So I would, I would order, I would order efficiently, and then I would leave a big tip and be like gracious about it. I would leave a big tip on the first round and be gracious where you like slide a slide of 20. This is, this is actually valuable in general if you're a packed place and you're with your buddies anyway and you, you have enough money to not have 20 bucks ruin your week. But you get the point, like stand out, make a great first impression. And 20 bucks is probably better than any joke you're going to make. Um, so go ahead and do that. All right. So then, the next time you're up, she might come over to you. And then I would slow play it over the entire night. I wouldn't start with it. I would slow play it. I would keep going. Now, again, you don't want to be like on your seventh Jägermeister shot because then she's like, cool, this guy's got a pretty rough Thursday ahead of him. Um, but you get my point as you go up, you know, be polite wait, be an awesome bar patron who also tips because that first 20 bucks, you've already made that first impression. And then you're going to have to keep it together the rest of the night, even if your buddies again, your late 20s, you guys are all probably trying to get shit faced anyway. Try to keep it together because I don't know a ton of super hot bartenders are like, hey, I love that guy that's blacked out. who has a, has a Kodiak all over the front of his dress shirt. All right. So there's that part of it. Now, if you actually get to the end of the night and you're settling up or whatever, and again, you can drop your card for a tab and leave the 20, which is a, just a a vet move. Um, but now you still have to kind of like close. And if you really are trying to pull this off, I would not even ask her out the first night at all. All right. That was all planting the seed. So now the next time you go in, I would slow play the hell out of this. All right. Now she already knows whether or not she's interested in you based on appearance. Cause in these settings, that's basically all we're doing. All right. So if you're able to pass that, boss, let's say. Um, the next part that is the most important part is that if she's working with male bartenders, every one of these guys wants to hook up with her too. And they are in the trust zone. All right. They are in the trust zone because they're not you. They're not the the citizens on the other side of the bar. All right. There's a guy already trying to do this every shift they have together. And there's probably somebody that's already hooked up with her at the bar. If she's worked there long enough now, maybe on her personal timeline of events, you've hit it at the right spot. It's a sweet spot. There's some dickhead door guy who she doesn't like, or maybe the manager was like giving her the wrong shifts after they broke up. You know, you don't know. Um, It would be great if you could get a little bit more intel on her, but I wouldn't ask another cocktail waitress because She's going to tell her immediately or the cocktail waitress might be annoyed that you're not paying attention to her. That's, again, only if you're a really good looking guy, because if you're not a really good looking guy, you have almost no chance unless you play for the professional hockey team and you have no teeth. And it's kind of cute and endearing where if you don't have your front teeth and you don't play hockey, it's not nearly as attractive, right? So you have to understand that you are, you are in a canoe with holes, in no oar going upstream. I mean, you, every everything is against you, but all I can say is that slow play it, be a good customer first, make some sort of connection. I would go in two or three times, and then maybe on the third time, or go in when it's a little slower, if this is really what you want to do and ask this person out. Go in when it's a little bit slower, maybe you get a chance for five-minute conversation here or there, and then I wouldn't do it at the end of the night so she doesn't think that you're shit-faced when you're doing it. But at some point, you can just be like, look, can I have your number or something like that? Or, hey, are you on Instagram or anything? I think that's what you guys do now more because it's a little less, less uh, forward. And, you know, she says, no, understand that you didn't have a very good chance anyway. But she will say yes to someone. She will. This is also my, my woman at the gym theory. Every gym ever created has the one girl that everybody knows, that everybody's like, oh, yeah, her. Jeez. All right. And now the men in pursuit can be classified, can be broken down into a bunch of different categories. There's going to be the old guy that doesn't give a shit anymore because he's old and he's just going to ask her out and he's got no chance. There's the old guy that may have his stuff together. I mean, hell, he might even be married, but he had it going on in his 20s and 30s. And now maybe he's creeping up late 40s, early 50s. But he you know, he's like, no, I used to work for Goldman. Oh, yeah, no, I was in it. Did you ever see Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, yeah, I know. We, we, like we dealt with. That guy's got to feed his ego a little and he's got he's to see if it's still there every now and then. So he's going to talk to her and it's also probably not going to work out. And then there's going to be the younger group, right? One category of the younger group is the guy in your friend group who knows he's not attractive, doesn't give a shit and is so delusional. He'll talk to anybody and ask out every single one. And he's just volume, volume shooter. He's D'Angelo Russell in this motherfucker. He just doesn't care. And it's probably not going to work out for him either. Then there's the good-looking guy who was, you know, captain of every team, complete alpha. He's not going to wait around. He's not going to get in his own head. He is going to talk to her because he believes that she wants him to talk to her. All right? Like, this guy's got some voodoo going on. And he is going to ask her out, and she's probably going to say yes, and then they're going to start hanging out. And the third guy in that young group is going to be the also good-looking guy who has his stuff together that overthought it and then gets so mad when he sees them together to their gym because he's going to be like, oh, fuck, that guy sucks. But you know what? That guy asked. That guy asked. So we could play this game where we say, hey, never ask anybody anything, but there's people out there asking, and there's people out there asking and getting stuff done. So that's kind of the last part of this, which is a much bigger philosophy that I have. I've been workshopping a bit, but that's that's pretty much every single angle of this, I believe, that can be covered. Kyle, you hang out in bars. Thoughts? I agree. When you
2: first, I mean, this has now been like a 10-minute thing. At minute yes. two, I was like, don't do this, guy. And then now I'm like, you know what, guy? Go Find out when the shift changes. If she's a seven o'clocker, show up with 30 minutes left to happy hour. Maybe she's slicing lemons or something. Like, you said it at the end. And on, like, minute eight, you were, like, you know, maybe going when it's slower, where, like, it wouldn't, it's not going to be such a labor for her to talk to you and she's not running, like, doing, like, uh, suicides from different ends of the bar. Like, yeah. But, like, it's really just trying to keep this thing not creepy. Like, yeah, you do need to find a little intel. You do need to maybe figure out if she's, like, works on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Like, you do have to figure that out. It's just about how, how creepy are you okay with being? Um, so, you know, it's
0: a, yeah, it's it's not, a fine look, line. It's not creepy if she likes you. Right. right. <laughs> you know, she's like, hey, this guy's cute, and I do like him, and, you know, this is... It's not creepy, but like you said,
2: it's a logo shot, not necessarily high percentage.
0: Right. Just to clear up everything here, uh, yes, there are certainly things that are creepy. But in this case of what we're talking about here, you know, you'll know, but I can tell you which play to run. But if you can't physically throw the football 40 yards in the air, then it doesn't matter.
1: I mean, here's the thing, too, is or you have to be hot, as you said. You um, be a hot you guy. Kind, you, yeah. you kind of mentioned it at the end. Maybe, maybe she's so hot that everyone is just afraid to actually hit on her, except for like the drunk guys that never have a shot. So you might actually be like kind of like one of the few people who actually gives it a shot. And at the end of the day, you have to keep in mind if she says no or you get rejected, who cares? Like, it's not like whatever. Move on. Do your thing. I know. I know people don't love rejection, but, you know, you you gave it your shot and then you move on. It's not the end of the world.
0: Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. She might just say no. And then you know what? The no can be the seed for a year later if the time is right. And you're even close to being somebody that she would date where she's like, I remember that guy was really nice. And then if you don't act like an asshole about it and keep going by, hey, how's it going? Look. Plenty of people say no to you throughout your entire life, but we all have a hard time with it, especially when it's a dating thing. Um, that's that's always a little weird. You know, it's just you say, hey, just just ask her out. But um there's you're just gonna know this is different. Like you're dealing with a lot of competition here because she's getting asked out and hit on and guys are trying to talk to her every single minute she's at work. So good luck. Okay, uh this is about tackling Derrick Henry or fighting Conor McGregor. Men are obsessed with uh, these ideas. I know that Van Pelt and I on the radio show did something about could you beat a wolf if you got a catcher's protective chest pad and a bat. It was actually one of our more successful segments early early days of the show. My buddies and I talk about this stuff all the time. So we have an email that says, my buddies and I make some pretty absurd statements when it comes to sports Group. Uh, sports in our group chat. These hot takes usually involve some sort of statement about how an NFL player will perform in the season. Recently, one of the friends, Ryan, made the outlandish claim that you could tackle Derrick Henry one time out of 10 in an Oklahoma drill type situation. Again, Oklahoma drill. One guy has the ball, one guy doesn't. You're get on the you on the ground. You have to get up and basically you have to stop him if you're on defense. All right. Uh, this is met with a lot. Of, it's it's a brutal drill. I don't even know how many people even do it anymore. Um, Bart Scott was on the radio saying the other day the Oklahoma drill has made more basketball players than anything else. Um, All right, this was met with a lot of pushback from me and other guys in the group. Importantly, he said it would not matter if they both started on the ground and had to get up or not. I imagine Henry starts standing up. He'll have more power and speed behind him. Ryan says there's no doubt he could do it. I'll just jump at his legs. Ryan's six foot 180, but definitely works out. And I would imagine it's pretty strong. Could not tell you how strong I don't go to the gym. Uh, I bring up the pretty obvious counterpoint. Don't you think every defensive back that's ever played against Henry has said the same damn thing? He just keeps telling me 1 out of 10, anything could happen. A few weeks later, the group chat was firing on all cylinders. I cannot remember how it got brought up, but I said that me and my two brothers, both about six foot 175, one works out, one does not, could definitely take Conor McGregor in a bar fight situation. I mean, he's a UFC fighter, not Jason Bourne. So I guess the respect here goes to Jason Bourne, not the UFC guy. Anyway, I told my buddies that, yeah, the first guy to attack is probably going to sleep. Probably. Really? You think the first guy that fights Conor McGregor is going to go down? Probably is your guess there. Uh, but the, by the time, the other two would be right on top of him, and it's still two versus one. This claim also gets a ton of backlash. And now anytime my friends and I are out, uh, we ask anyone who will listen, which is more ridiculous. I don't think three versus one against McGregor is ridiculous. Uh, please, Ryan, tell us which one is more ridiculous. Look, none of you guys are big, first of all. So let's start there. Um, to be six foot 180 and think you're going to take down Derek Henry in Oklahoma drill, is pretty stupid, but it's not as stupid as thinking that you and two brothers that aren't that big either are going to beat up Conor McGregor in a bar fight. That's not even about size and numbers. That's about mentality. Like, Do you guys fight? I, was, like, I I don't know if you do or not, but are you fighters? Do you have it in you? Do you have a switch? Do any, do any of the three of you have a switch? And even saying all that, McGregor's going to fuck up the first guy so bad in front of you two that you two are probably going to run away. But if you're going to still stay there and fight, there's no way that McGregor, not even having to deal with a massive size disadvantage, we're talking 175 here. One, all, all three brothers average 175. McGregor's bigger than that walking around, not for a cut, but so I actually think the McGregor one's dumber than the Derrick Henry one. Kyle? Yeah, totally. I
2: was looking for this video that I saw on YouTube like 15 years ago. Where it's like this Russian guy in a track suit in a park and he like knocks out like three guys and it was like probably not staged, but like there's enough of those things where you can see like where there's actually real news stories behind him where it's like one one professional fighter just knocks out three guys and the whole thing takes like a minute. So that's insane. I know McGregor's recently taken some losses, so that might be why these guys are feeling <laughs> froggy, but come on. I think I'd rather get
1: McGregor off a win than a
2: loss. (laughs) I think he'd be pissed
1: off. I mean, I, I, you're right. I think it's you. It's easier to luck into the Derrick Henry thing than it is to 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 take down Conor McGregor, even with three guys. Um, but I, this is a bigger picture thing. I, I just don't like these dudes that think they could do this. I remember there was this guy that used to play pickup hoops with at the Y back in the day in high school who didn't play high school basketball that always insisted that if he wanted to, he could walk on at UConn, and I'm talking about like prime UConn, like 2004, 2005, you know, uh, around there. So and that's obviously never going to happen. The guy was a decent shooter at the YMCA. Doesn't mean you could walk on at UConn. So these guys, there's always these inflated ego situations where guys think they could do something, and it always pisses me off.
0: I don't mind the ridiculous conversations because I think that's that's like my favorite one was always which sport could you play professionally the longest in a game without being exposed? That's fair. Basketball would be over pretty quickly. Football, it would be over really quickly. I mean, basketball I think is the hardest one, and fighting tops all of them because the second you walked out from your corner of the octagon and started like running away you'd be like okay maybe this guy isn't professional swimming if you had to do a 50 meter sprint and guys it takes you 50 seconds and it takes them 20 like that would stand out too but if we're talking like team sports stuff that we watch regularly all the time i used to always argue you could probably hide on soccer the longest and then the baseball people like what are you talking about you could stand in right field and bat ninth you're like yeah but if you were actually doing the activity the first time you saw a curveball Um, so the batting ninth versus soccer felt like a pro soccer argument the whole time, but the fighting one's always the worst. Like, I'm just telling you right now, like, you know, Mike Vallele is just going to go bananas on you guys. And if you guys don't get that reference, uh, that's an old skateboard reference. And Vallele was a pal for Alta guy who was kind of like a badass and awesome. And then he just, I don't know, he, there was videos of him just beating up multiple people at the same time because he had it like that. This is the way his brain was wired. So even though the Derrick Henry one is stupid and you probably end up with a concussion trying to go really low at his shins. I'm just telling you, like McGregor's not going to wait. It's like I'd have to know if you guys are any good at fighting. And if you're just three random 175 guys, I'm actually embarrassed. I've spent this much time talking.
1: About. <laughs> wait, so. but I, all right, I wanna, let's take it a step further. If it's not three and they're normal dudes, how many guys would it take to take down McGregor? Normal how
0: many dudes? normal 175 guys? Yeah. I think it, it'd have to get somewhere north of six or seven.
1: <laughs> See, I would actually... I would you pay to watch more? that. I would pay the nine ninety nine to watch that more than some UFC and boxing fights.
0: No, I think the future of sports... And again, I don't know. We might be 50 years away from this kind of stuff. But we're going we're gonna to eventually start getting the stuff that we want. We're going to get this. Where That's what should happen. But I don't know how you would screen for that. Be like, hey, where'd you, where'd you grow up? And you like, oh, I grew up in... Um, wellesley mass like where'd you go to school i went to taft you know for prep school and then i i went to middlebury be like all right do you have six friends be like if if you just did a
1: bunch of frat guys then i mean geez everybody would watch that
0: (laughs) right so then no but i'm just trying to like get your background like where are you from and like how many have you ever been in any fights or no none right do you have six friends from middlebury okay (laughs) cool all right we're gonna throw you in a ring with anderson silva You know, and we're just going to see like, I think that's going to be the stuff that we get to watch in the future, because I think we're still in this kind of carryover of of like all the things that we're not supposed to do. Like, just think like we were told at one point to not talk about gambling on the radio show. And then we were told, definitely don't talk about it on TV. And I also think it's weird when gambling guy gets a hard on because somebody did reference it like, ooh, somebody said something about gambling. Yeah, cool. He's one of us. But to also act like it wasn't part of anything was weird. So, you know, I just think there's the, the, the NFL team versus the college team. I think at some point we will get these things, but it, society will no have to... No way. No way. I'm talking like 50 years from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, nah, there's way too much like player safety stuff for an NFL team to play a college team. No way. Even if it was like Bama versus the Jags right now. No way.
0: Think, of, think how long, like 50 years, dude. That's 1970. So in 2070... I I'd like to believe that people will just say ah screw it let's start doing more of this stuff because people want it which You're
2: team which yeah. team do you think will be hurting enough it, by 2070 to do it and would it be the Jags
0: yeah it's probably the Jags the way this Myers in is London going. they'll go they'll fly yeah, they'll, them all it, to London yeah. yeah there'll be some there'll be some guy that, that tweets out whatever the whatever the, the comp to Twitter will be in 2070 and he'll tweet out like this franchise has never been the same since Urban Myers season and there'll there'll be some podcaster with a deep voice who flamed out at ESPN saying this fucking tweet sucks. (laughs) I probably shouldn't say flamed out at ESPN. It was my decision to leave, but I don't know. It just was too good. The line was too good. Like, oh, you see, see some of these shitty takes. This guy still hasn't gotten over the urban Meyer thing 50 years later. What a terrible tweet. This guy sucks. All right. Check out Kevin Clark's piece up on the ringer, the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder trilogy. Thanks to Sarudi and Kyle, as always. And we'll be back on Monday with Trent Dilfer.